Listen to better music and listen to music better. Welcome to True Tunes at 45 RPM, the short form version of the ongoing conversation you'll hear on the True Tunes podcast and in the digital pages at truetunes.com. And now your host, John J. Thompson. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Oh, let's see if I can make it easier. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and on this True Tunes at 45 RPM podcast, we once again fire up the True Tunes time machine and spin her back nearly four years to the very episode that started us on our journey, a visit with Charlie Peacock. Charlie's music and overall ethic inspired me to dig deep as an artist, a thinker, and as a person of faith, not to settle for canned answers and cliches. In the decades since he first appeared on the scene, Charlie Peacock has thrilled audiences as an artist, a songwriter, and as a producer and cultivator of other artists' music. He has written books, fostered community, taught, and recently returned to his roots as a visual artist. But above everything else, in my book anyway, is the standard of artistic, theological, and soulful excellence he has set for the rest of us to live up to. Whether you are a fan of his music or of the many amazing artists he has nurtured and produced, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. When I sat down with Charlie in the spring of 2019, Bruce and I still really hadn't settled on a template for how the True Tunes podcast was going to shake out. Consequently, we found ourselves with lots of material on the cutting room floor. So, to entice you to take another deep dive into our vault, Bruce has compiled some choice bits with Charlie from episode one, as well as some outtakes from the master interview reels. Culturally, myself and many people that I that I performed with back then, we were predisposed to have the evening be surprising because communities that we came out of, that's the way we played music. We played music to be surprised by it. We didn't rehearse it until it was, you know, every note that we would repeat the same note. There was always an element of improvisation and we came out of um, traditions that were performance improvisational traditions even if you go back to um, Coltrane and you think about how he would say that every night he goes out and he just prays through his horn seeking transcendence and I don't think that we were that Eastern in our thinking. It was just more that we were used to this communal thing by playing in clubs. But also, artistically, we never would have been satisfied if it hadn't have been that way. Um, I think we were predisposed to come to music as believers in Jesus, but we were also believers in the transcendent effect of music. And so we were predisposed to have an expectation about 
the communal gathering mm. and take the promises of the scripture in terms of, of the Lord being present with you. Mm. I mean, I took that very seriously. I mean, I, I, that was just something I, I banked on. It's always uh, what God has, has prepared in advance for you to, uh, to enjoy and to be, be part of. The music that we made was exactly the music we wanted to make. There was, we didn't make it to fulfill anyone's agenda or to sell anything. Most of us that, that I knew who were younger Christians, we, we weren't even really aware of any kind of sales or economic infrastructure that was out there. We were kind of sheltered from that. And, and also, I mean, we didn't, we never, since the time that I've been a Christian, I don't think you can find anywhere in print or have ever heard me refer to myself as a Christian musician. Right. It just doesn't exist. I quickly found out that, that there was a genre of uh, popular music, and I just knew that that's not what I'm doing, you know? It was, it's always been a great frustration of mine to have people say that, uh, you know, when you were doing contemporary Christian music or something, it's like, now I've only done <laughs> the music that I've done. That's it. Right. That's that's all I've done. But I also understand, you know, I mean my my friend Dan Russell coined the phrase, he says, you are where you are distributed. And uh, I think some of us just naively let people distribute our music without realizing that there was a, a group of, of of believers who well-intended, wanted to organize the music of the church, and specifically wanted to uh, create music for uh, young Christians. And it, very unfair to the artists, and, but, it, but really all it was is it's just a sales technique. That's all it is. It's, and we were just trying to uh, make the very best music we could make. And, and for me, even when I moved to Nashville to um, work with a, a lot of the uh, labels that self-identified as Christian record labels. I came to do work. You know, it was a job. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a husband and a father and I was living in Sacramento and there were people in Nashville who said, if you come to Nashville, you'll never stop working. You know, which was true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, had, I've had to had to work on stopping working, and I think that's just the difference between artists who are confident that they're called to something and that 
they're not sitting around worrying about whether they're going to sell something. They're far more worried about are they going to create something good enough that people will want. That's always been my criteria. I mean, I have to be interested in it. I had to believe that I was a part of making something that hadn't been heard before. And if you were to die deep inside my soul, would you find Jesus there or keeping home? Should I be content with my beautiful Christian life? I do have a little bit of grief over the lack of innovation. And again, that's part of like my generation was the generation that rejected societal norms and then embraced individualism like no generation before them, right? So there's a lot of poisonous aspects about, about that as well. It, it's much healthier to have the right kinds of ambition that are uh, uh, communally constructed. Um, but I do grieve, like I say, that, that I don't see the kind of innovation and experimentation that came out of my generation that was concerned with an individualist contribution. So I'm not, I'm not saying we should all go back to this, hey, look at me, and it's all about me and my brilliant ideas. I grieve that it's difficult for younger musicians to have the circumstances of which they can play, you know. When I was in high school, I played many weekends, you know, for pay, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I would, high school kid, I would go and make $100 for a weekend, which in, at that time was a lot of money for a kid to have, mm -hmm. you know. But that's how I bought instruments and tape recorders and, you know, funded my, my music. That's a lot more difficult today. But again, too, I mean, I was a young married man, you know, uh, 21 with a child. I could be a fry cook or a dishwasher or a musician, right? And in those days, I went out and I played my own music. I was with my friends and we were talking about what we were going to do in music. 
and then we did it. Uh, and we practiced and rehearsed. And uh, as arrogant as I was, or you know, me and my buddies were, we still looked at Miles Davis and sure. said. Right. I know who I am, <laughs> and I know who Miles Davis is, and I'm not Miles Davis, right? There was a sense, and there were like a hundred people like that, where we, we didn't necessarily, now as we got a little older, we started thinking, you know, it, you know, I'm as good as Tom Petty, or you know, whoever was it, your, your contemporary, right? And you would think that way, but there was still a sense that there was a hierarchy of something to aspire to, which meant that you needed to improve mm -hmm. or needed that you need to come up with your own unique spin on something or you needed to, to present your music in a new and unique way and everyone that was our age or five years older or ten years older was doing that mm -hmm. you could look at David Bowie and you say like okay no one else is presenting music like the way he's doing it right you know, or someone our age, like the talking heads come up and you go like, okay, well that's completely unique. And it was just uniqueness, uniqueness, uniqueness. Um, whereas if I, if we were to call up Spotify right now and listen to indie pop, you know, or singer songwriter uh, channel, we, we would say, the one thing we would say is we'd say, man, there is a lot of really good music. But we wouldn't say, wow, there's a lot of amazing, innovative, I've never heard before music. Whatever the pursuit is, it's, it's about dependence on God and trusting promises, God's promises to you, which requires you knowing what the promises are. Uh, so that is a discipleship issue. And, and do you know the word well enough to know what the promises are? They're the guardrails that keep you from um, creating a world in which you are responsible for everything. I would definitely lean into the, to this old word of disciple, you know, of, of being a student, and then to study with people or, or, or read um, and study through those who spend a lot of time trying to come to understand how the Word of God comes to bear upon everyday life. I can't even imagine venturing out into the world without that. So that, um, 
so that you can dream a dream and not go off course. What's sustainable are uh, ideas that live across the centuries. That's sustainable. It's not sustainable to, to come up with a great guitar riff or, you know, or to gain facility on an instrument uh, or to write 13 really good songs. You know, all those things can be good in and of themselves, but they're not, they're not the, the, what will sustain you. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I thought I wouldn't be legitimate unless I had hits. Uh, pop hits and so I had pop hits and now I can I consider myself to be legitimate right, right. that's that's foolishness but <laughs> that's that's just the way I was wired when I when I was younger but as I matured I saw sustainability about the kind of directly linked to the kind of person I was becoming and that I was growing musically because that's all I did and the way I thought about music required that I was always in an investigative mode. So my work was never done, right? So that meant I would keep growing that way as well. But if, but if we were to like dissect my career and say, okay, you know, you, you got married at 18, you've been playing professionally since you were 14, you know, you've, I've done it practically every job you could possibly have in music, right? Um, how did that happen? You know, and if I had to break it down, explain it to you, I would say it was so much more about the things that you can't even imagine than it was about the music. same way that we have this massive gap between you know whatever it is one percent of the people have 90 percent of the wealth or right the music industry is exactly the same so there's a handful of these people that are are making all the money in the music business and then there's everybody else and to me that's that's just the all the more reason for uh, younger artists today to really put together for themselves a, an ethos and a philosophy for why they do what they do and how it's going to be sustainable, what they're going to value, um, the power of community in their life, the, the fellowship, and um, who they do what they do for and why they do it. Those are sustainable ideas that get you through the rough patches, you know, so that quality is good enough. You know, when you get to the end and it's like, wow, I'm so proud of what I made and I'm so pleased with it. It brought me so much pleasure to make that. And my friends, it's bringing them pleasure. And that's enough. If you don't end up being paid extravagantly for it, you know what? Get in line. <laughs> Most people aren't paid extravagantly for right. what they do. And again, I mean, some of my 
erroneous thinking, you know, as a young artist was is because I lived under that presumption. I mean, and maybe some of it is what drove me because I presume that, right? I presume that music was a wealth making mechanism, that music was a fame make making mechanism. Presume those things would happen as a matter of course because they happened to my heroes. But, uh, you know, as I matured as a person, then I realized, well, that's, that's folly. But in some ways, though, once you get that seed in you, <laughs> it's hard to get it out. Oh my gosh. So the benefit, I think, that with artists today is that there is a good chance that, that most musical artists we know will never have a gold record. And that's okay. I mean, think of, I mean, here in, in the town that we live in, we have a, a vibrant musical mu middle class, don't we? I mean, we, we pro probably the, the most vibrant musical middle class in America is in Nashville, I would say, in middle and upper middle class. And I think young people need to know that, that that's okay. When I was a little boy, art was everything to me. And uh, up until about the time, probably till fifth or sixth grade, that's what I did. Now I took music lessons because I was my father's son and my dad was an accomplished musician. And I told him I wanted to play music and, and, and I did. But I didn't enjoy that. I enjoyed succeeding at it and having people give me attention, but I really enjoyed drawing. I loved to draw and I, I drew all the time. And I was also in a, um, a new program that was started in California called Gate, Gifted and Talented. And they had this enrichment reading program and I just got so into reading. I just read and read and read. So I, I began to have these other things that, that interested me, you know. And then I just kept getting better and better at music. So what I did was I, I did my music in high school. I started writing songs for the first time. But the whole time I'm making jewelry and writing poetry and going to craft fairs and and just making i mean i just i think i've just always been making something you know but it really probably wasn't until i was 16 or just about to turn 16 that summer when my dad took me down to david geffen's office in los angeles and and that was my first kind of thing of like 
yeah, maybe I'll be James Taylor. Maybe I'll be Jackson Brown, you know, my heroes, songwriting heroes. So there was just that mix of art and writing and music. And then the music was split in two because it was half jazz and half singer-songwriter and then half just doing whatever I had to do. But it wasn't until we got married that it quickly became apparent that really the only thing that people really want to pay me significantly for is music. So anyway, I fast forward to, to just say that's always been there, but you know, hey, guess what? I had a 40-year music career, <laughs> you know, that took off and had a life of its own and the, that I was called to. And what's interesting about it is that, uh, in fact, Jimmy uh, Abeg was saying this to me the other night, he was saying, he was saying, well, of course you can pick it up. You know, and of course you can already do it at the level you're doing that because you're going to have limited technique in some things, you know, because you hadn't been practicing that technique, you know, for years. But I've been practicing being an artist my whole life, you know, and so I can have artistic thoughts about <laughs> a number of things and, and understand how to um, transfer ideas to different mediums. You know, I've got nothing left to prove. I'm well taken care of. I'm extremely grateful for the, the opportunities I've had and continue to have, you know. I mean, to still have people who just want me to do music, you know, and who uh, create opportunities for me to keep making music. And I feel like I'm, this is kind of like the peak of my creativity right now. I mean, it, it's, it's, very odd because I'm really off the radar in so many ways and um, and just coming to the to this point now where I can do things because I want to do them I'm free to do them and God creates the circumstances that I'm able to do them so I just work on my music uh, and I work as long as I want on any given day which is often not that long and then when I'm not Doing music, I'm, I've got a little setup in the garage, and that's where I paint. And then writing. I mean, that's really it. And being a grandpa and a husband right. and a dad. I don't have to think about the provision part of it, which is a privilege. I'm, I'm very confident in Andy and I being taken care of. You know? And so we just get up and do do what we do. and and each month it all works out it's nothing to it when you got love for the music the money and the fame yeah oh that's cool but it don't mean if you don't make good music you're doing it wrong it's nothing to it when you got love for the music the money and the fame yeah oh that's cool but it don't mean if you don't make good music you're doing it It's easy when you got a track like this 
Believe me, it's simple to write like this. I take a bus, train, copter, plane. As long as I can get to the game. Trap, thanks for the hookup. Charlie, thanks for the chance to check. Rhyme is so butter, you could have paid in advance, correct? I make horns happy, I make drums hum. I get a bass grace while making the keys lush. Easy boy, man, I won you on test. Me against every rapper is not a contest. I take out crews while pushing on the snooze alarm. I take it back to 94, I'm just fresh. Uh. We hope you enjoyed this quick trip down memory lane with Charlie Peacock. When you visit the vault, you'll find the complete original Peacock podcast, as well as nearly 100 other gems like it. Stay tuned for more classic material, as well as some insightful and challenging all new episodes of the True Tunes podcast coming very soon. And make sure to check out all of Charlie Peacock's new music he's been releasing. The guy has been prolific, to put it lightly. He's got a new jazz project. And I'm sure there's a lot more where that came from. Thank you, Charlie. We appreciate you so much. Runout Groove is coming, and that means it's time to go. If you dig the show, please subscribe and spread the word. Also, please leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our email list at truetunes.com. Follow us on Facebook at TrueTunesNow, and find and follow our weekly Spotify Gallery Stage Mixtape. You can find me on Twitter at John J. Thompson and on Instagram at TheOnlyJJT and at TrueTunesMusic. And you can support the show through our Patreon.com slash TrueTunesCommunity or via a one-time tip linked on the show notes page. Tell your friends about the show, post it on your socials, and let us know what you think. Thanks. This podcast is produced by John J. Thompson and Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions and is intended for the private use of our listening audience. The contents are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thanks for listening. Cheers. We'll see you next time.